The following podcast is with David D'Onofrio. David has been a friend of mine since first grade and someone I went to high school with. He's had the privilege in his time to work within AI and machine learning, both in college and as a profession. He has two research papers within AI and machine learning credited to his name that he's co-authored. And as someone who is within this world, I really just wanted to talk to him and have a conversation about, I mean, what is the difference between these types of technologies, uh, the work he's done, and what the world may look like, what a post-AI world may look like. But without further ado, David, you were in college and you did research. I did. Yeah. Um, can you like talk about that? AI research specifically, right? I'm going to give you just maybe a bit more background than what you hoped for. So when we went to high school together, I was doing independent psychology research. And I just fell in love with studying human behavior. And so when I, came, when I got to college, I was already in a lab that was studying um, motivation in mice on a molecular level. So I kind of yeah. went from psychology yeah. to neuroscience because it's more data-driven. And I just felt like psychology, not, not against anyone who does psychology research or work in psychology now, but... I just feel like it was a bit too wishy-washy for me. I needed something more quantitative than qualitative. And so I really fell in love with neuroscience when I got into college. Um, Now, I started with two years in a mouse lab that studied dopamine receptors and how those, we would modify those receptors and we see how we contribute to motivation in mice. And that's really where I started doing like some of my programming skills and developing those. I kind of left that lab because I didn't love working with animals. I mean, I love working with animals. I don't love the maintenance that goes behind it. If you get what I'm saying, there's a lot of killing baby mice involved with that. that I was not happy about. How do you do it? How do you do it in in like a, like just as, as a side note, how do you do it? So in like a humane way. So they say you have to do it in the, you have to do it in the most humane way. And so a couple of couple of old white men get in a room together and figure out what that is. So what they consider or what the review board considers to be the best way to kill a mouse, especially when they're younger, is you put them in this like box and you flood it with carbon dioxide <laughs> to the oxygen out of their lungs and they asphyxiate. Uh, the disturbing Yeah. They say it's the least painful, but what's really, really disturbing, and the reason why I could only do this for like a few months, was because these little mice would jump for their, like, they have this reaction right before they die, right before they're dying to kind of like get out of that situation and escape. Like, they want to live. So they will jump as like hard as they can using all of the muscles that they've developed in like six weeks of life to try and escape this box. And yeah. kind of in a disturbing image, it's kind of like popcorn. They're like just – it's the sound of pop – and like, like they're hitting the top of the box and they like can't get out. And it's just very hard to witness. Hard and yeah. yeah. Wow. But know, it's, like, uh, it's Yeah. I mean, look, like I, I think I'm, I'm more of a utilitarian. Um, I mean, I think – some of the things I believe would probably go like a little further than most people would think. But I mean, recently uh, Elon Musk's Neuralink was in the news because did you hear about this? Did you hear about how many animals that they've allegedly killed 
in the last four years. It was years. in the tens of thousands, right? Um, well, 1,500, and I'm pretty sure majority of those were actually like, you know, pigs and like orangutans and like chimps. Yeah. The difference is they're killing yeah. monkeys. And that's yeah. a whole other we'll thing. Yeah, we'll see. The thing is, for, like, um, from what I heard, Elon Musk was like, I want them to be the happiest little animals while they're alive, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when then when it came to surgery and stuff, oh, um, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, like, tr- like try and do it in the most humane way possible. I will say, though, that in terms of his specific pursuit, where his ultimate goal is to give, like, people who are paralyzed the ability to walk or those blind the ability to see again, mm-hmm. I think it's, as long as it's done in a humane way, yes, it's a lot, but I think it's still, like, a courageous endeavor. Yeah. I agree. I've taken a lot of, so I've been doing research for a while. So it's kind of a big part of my personality that when I was taking like philosophy classes in college, I focused a lot on like the treatment of animals in science. And I kind of agree with you. I think from a utilitarian perspective, I kind of took a Kantian perspective in those courses too, that I think the value is still there in what we're doing. Um, I just couldn't do it myself, which may be hypocritical to say, but I, I wouldn't be able no, to. No, no, no. I think it's, it's, it's funny. I think it's fair to say, like, I mean, I think I'd, I'd probably kill less. I'd probably eat less chickens if I had to kill them, you know? Yeah. I'd probably I'd probably go to Shake Shack less if I had to, you know, hunt the cow myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, it still tastes good. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. Um, so, in college, though, right? So, had, what? The, I, I kind of did that animal research kind of – that's what introduced me to neuroscience research. Um, I had left that lab my sophomore year, so I was there for two years. Um, I left that lab for a position in a U.S. Army research program um, called the Undergraduate Research Apprenticeship Program. I had worked at a lab in the Nathan Klein Institute. It's in Orangeburg, New York. And in the lab, we focused on modeling neural networks that were structured to represent the human brain and synaptic connections and like representing actual neurons in a computer model, Mm -hmm. uh, which was all really, really cool. Um, So we would build... How do you... Like... Uh, can you like go into detail about how you do that? Like, I mean, so a computer at the end of the day is like, it's ones and zeros. It's a bunch of like electrical signals. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I guess you could say neuron is kind of like that too. How did you program a, like a computer to even start to simulate a brain? Yeah. So think of it like the computer is like this big white space and it's going to build its own like world inside of itself. So what, how the lab started was in, I think it was early 2000s or something, a lab in Yale came out with a software called Neuron. And so this software was specifically designed to building a 3D model of a neuron, a single neuron, and accurately representing the synaptic receptors that will receive chemical signals into that neuron. It would accurately represent how electrical signals move along that neuron and how then that would go into a, how that neuron would then send signals to the next neuron. So it was really good at designing one neuron. 
And what my and like, how big was this computer, by the way, to run this one neuron? That I, that I don't know. Um, I mean, I know when I would run my like. So let me say. So my bosses basically took that software um, way before I joined the lab, and they built a Python package that wrapped that used that software in the back end, and would basically build networks of thousands of these highly detailed models of neurons, and then connect them to each other. So you were able to have basically a population of these like highly detailed neurons. Now, when I would run a program, all, like when I'm running experiments with models like that, that have that much computational detail into them, it takes hours to train a neural network like that. I mean, we're talking like weeks of like full in-depth training, but like for one experiment, it would take me like eight hours. And so when you say training, Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Do you like, do you like give it like, like yeah, hey, so, here's, here's a bunch of like Wikipedia, you know, pages. Here's, you know, yeah. some New York Times articles. I get you know? the AI you're thinking of. So this is a little more different. So remember, this is the U.S. Army. So what our neural networks are trained on were motor control tasks. So we started with really simple things and we tried to have these models interface with an environment that would kind of involve some action and it would have to receive some kind of input from information from the environment. And the models were trained on basically performing these tasks well. So the kind of tasks we started with were literally the Atari game Pong, where you have the paddle moving up and down. So it's a very, I mean, when you break it down, it's a very easy game to work with because your network would only have three options. You can either move up, down, or stay but there's a lot of information to work with there. So you can, you're receiving the visual input from the game. So my bosses had built a model of the retina and the visual cortex as well to kind of receive images from the game and then make decisions on whether to move the paddle up and down. Um, Wow. I think a long line, it's just that they wanted to train models that were able to do motor tasks which is a little different than like when we're talking about AI that's trained on like images, image data sets or like things like ChatGPT where they're more kind of interacting with us. Um, mm-hmm. I think that lab was focused on building these tools that can kind of mm-hmm. do these more menial like motor control tasks. Wow. Okay. So um, this seems like then, I, I don't want to say baby steps, but in the grand scheme of, I guess, evolution. No, it, right? it's, it's absolutely just like a proof concept. It is like yeah. baby. It's like you're never actually going to need a robot to play Pong. We just want to show that we can build something that can interact with an environment and learn in a fast manner. Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. And, the, and so this was your first paper that you uh, co-authored. So, yeah, I was on two papers. One was my boss's larger project, which is the one I just described. Um, yeah. And that was less of my more. I, I probably contributed a little bit less to that project than my second paper from that lab, um, which was a more of my own project and I worked in a smaller team for. Mm-hmm. That one was oh, focused yeah. on the learning algorithms behind these models. So my boss is really focused on building these models and interfacing them with the environment, but 
I mean, they had also done a ton of work into their learning algorithm, but me and a smaller team really dove into that aspect of the project and developed these new learning paradigms, basically how you would, how you want to approach learning for these models. Um, mm -hmm. And we had focused on kind of using different learning techniques in succession with each other to train the model even faster. So um, can you go, can you talk about how you, how do you, how do you teach these things to learn? Yeah. So the learning out, I mean, this is kind of what I love to talk about. How, how do you teach these neural networks, these AIs, how do they learn? So I think that's really significant in what we talk about and what their kind of intelligence is. So we use two different learning algorithms. The first one is more of how learning happens in an individual like you or me. So it's called reinforcement learning. And you kind of learn about an AP psych where there is an actor, and that would be us, the individual, where we take an action. You do something in the environment that changes it. And then there's a critic, which would be some part of your brain that evaluates if that was a good or a bad action. Mm -hmm. And then you want to adjust the model so that you, so good actions happen more often and bad actions happen less often. So that's the fundamentals of reinforcement learning. Wow. And okay. we found that that worked well. It always had some constant improvement over time. It just was, it was too slow to be useful really. So that's when we try, that's what my bosses were using. They were using reinforcement learning originally. And then we had someone else on my team thought of using something called evolutionary algorithms. This is the kind of learning that happens in a population over generations. Yeah. And evolutionary algorithms is really focused on building innate the like initial connections in the network and how those contribute to the behaviors. This is something I want to talk about more, but basically how your the neurons in your <coughs> eye project to your visual cortex is something like innate in your brain that just allow for these behaviors to happen. So yeah. evolutionary learning strategies focused on basically connecting, for example, like for the Pong model, like the, the neurons that looked at the top part of the screen to see where the ball was, were more likely to be connected to the motor neurons that would tell the paddle to move up. Because that means if the ball is at the top of the screen, you probably have to move the paddle up. So innate connections like that, that just improve behavior. We found that worked a lot better and faster. Yeah. And what my second paper focused on was using those two learning algorithms in succession. So using evolutionary strategies and finding the best initial connections to have for a model and then training that yeah. with reinforcement learning kind of proved yeah. to be the best method for us. And then just going back and forth between those two. That's, that's really fascinating. Um, and, uh, I mean, in terms of like that seven, that second type of learning that you're talking about, I feel like, I don't, I don't know if it was NVIDIA or, or some other company that, uh, I saw kind of doing something like this where over a few days they took like a bipedal, which is basically like a humanoid type shape in a simulator. And then over the course of, I guess, what thousands of like generations, Mm -hmm. uh, they then were able to have the thing be evolved enough to walk straight. 
would like walk and then run and then do certain and then do certain things. Then like it slowly learned over time, but it's because it kept sort of rebuilding itself and reinventing itself. Um, and when you talk about the idea of, of evolution and, and certain like innate characteristics, mm-hmm. I like think of that a lot with. You know, you look at some animals and just there's just some traits that they have that's just so fascinating, or or or, or even or, or even like us that you would think like why would you even like program that or how could you even begin to learn that? I mean, I could think of for example like if like as you're like uh you know like a hand is like if so, like if someone like tries to move their hand like and try to swat at your face without even touching you instinctively like close your eyes, like, yeah. that's something that's like that it's not something you think about it's just part of your evolution. I think, uh, yeah, I think reactions like that are extremely interesting. Um, yeah. Cause there's a lot to be said about why that happened, but also I think when you break those kinds of things down to like a neuroscience level, you really can kind of take the mystery out of behavior. And I think it kind of simplifies behavior in a lot of ways. I think when we look at, I mean, kind of simpler animals like birds they can seem so complicated i mean when we look at ourselves too we can seem so complicated but there are a lot of these reaction behaviors that we have that you don't realize but like make us seem complex but are really like kind of simple when you look at why they're happening yeah i yeah i mean i i I completely feel you on that like psychology is, is a subject that like i always um, like, you know, educate myself on and especially evolutionary psychology. I actually mm-hmm. completely agree. I think that when you look at someone's environment, you start to realize that like certain things about us are, like you said, a lot simpler and our behaviors are a lot more deterministic than you think. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, for example, uh, you know, shyness, right? The idea of like feeling like you need to fit in. Um, yeah. If you take the, evolu- the uh, evolutionary psychology, sort of route most of our time as as human beings we lived in hunter-gatherer tribes of about like you know you know like uh, what like 20 to 100 ish max and we and that was the majority of the time and if you were to be outcast in that tribe right you would, that, that was essentially a death sentence this group of 100 people yes it would change over time but this was essentially your entire world and so you were very incentivized to not really speak out to not be like that pariah because then that would be a death sentence. And over time, like that, whatever, like whatever that, whatever that, if not gene, but that behavior of, of fitting into the group, like evolved over time to the point where it's almost instinctual to most of us. However, the current world we live in, that's not, it's not necessarily as necessary as it used to be. Um, You know, because uh, you know, we theoretically could, I mean, short of social media, you know, uh, but you, I mean, turn that off, go to another state or even just go to another part of town. And now you have a whole new community. Um, I think that example uh, is very like multi-layered because it requires. Oh, completely. There's an us and there's a me and I'm not part of that us. Um, I think another example that I liked when I was learning kind of about this in college was it's a lot simpler. So think of like a mother bird feeding her baby birds. When you think about how the mother does that behavior, going out, finding worms, chewing it, bringing it back, feeding the baby bird, it seems kind of like, oh, this like amazing thing in mother nature and a little breathtaking when you like first see as a child, 
when neuroscience or not even neuroscience, when um, scientists though went out in the field and studied certain birds, they found that baby birds had these dots in the back of their neck. And when they opened their mouth, the mother bird would and like respond, had this reaction to feed. So it starts spitting out food because it saw these dots and it's very linear. And this over evolutionary time got taken advantage of because there would then be these parasitic birds that would leave their eggs in the nest of these other birds. And Mm -hmm. those, the second um, kind of bird, their uh, baby birds still had those dots. And so this mother bird was getting taken advantage of because it would be feeding a child that's not hers, but she it's so much simpler than we think. It just, it sees a dot, it feeds, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. There's really nothing else to it. And behaviors like that, that can seem so complicated when you look at them. I mean, really sometimes just have a really simple explanation. Yeah. Yeah. Now now here's what uh, I would like to say. If we take that same level of thought and then we abstract that to something like us, right? I don't think a, bird understands its itself its innate nature right mm-hmm. i don't think a chimp can understand itself its innate nature i think that excuse this is a little bit of a hot take but i think a lot of the things that we like you know that we leave to like mystery or coincidence or what um it's really because we can't explain certain phenomena and so we try to subscribe meaning to something in i don't know like any way possible, like in the same way that, you know, like the Native Americans thought that, you know, the rain god was the reason that, that it rained, not that yeah. it was clouds and water and the sun and that's the cycle. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that especially now, I mean, this whole conversation we're having with artificial intelligence, I think that the the narcissism of humanity is going to seriously come face to face with the idea that we're not as complicated as we think we are. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I feel like Chad GPT, I mean, and especially those, I mean, the type of work that you're doing, but we're really starting to see that now. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm sure that you've been playing around with, with, with Chad GPT, but I've just been experimenting, seeing what it can do. Right. Mm-hmm. It can do, I mean, and it's not there yet, but with what you're saying about evolution, it's not far off. Right. Especially considering like how fast this thing can learn. Like what, like ChatGPT2 was only a few years ago. It was open source, couldn't really do much. And now like I asked it to write me a 250 word essay, you know, to my, uh, to my hypothetical five year old son on why Santa isn't real and how we did it because it was for the magic of Christmas and how we, and how we wanted to give him joy in his childhood. And it did it, right? It did it to, I think, a level I probably could have, that, that, that I couldn't do it to. It could yeah. find me information. It could, it could explain things. And then even better than that, it could translate it into anything that I said. I mean, languages, yeah, but okay, explain like World War II, uh, the, the, the German perspective as an allegory for da da da, whatever. And it, like, it can do that. Um, so I guess I ask then from your end, what are your thoughts then? Um, on ChatGPT, uh, on, <coughs> on these, on chat, yeah, these kinds of yeah. AIs are fascinating. I mean, from someone who does research with machine learning models in general, the yeah. level of detail and the, just the tr- like 
ultimate capacity of these tools is kind of unreal to me. I mean, what they're able to do, how they're able to comprehend our questions and give meaningful answers truly is kind of dumbfounding. And I think a lot of that stems from, I mean, I, this is kind of where we disagree a little bit. I think it's a lot of mimicry, but I think what, what I'm, why I'm saying that is just because all of this stems from the data sets, the like amount of information that goes into training these models, which to me is just really cool because I know how much work goes into that. Um, I think I saw a figure recently that it was like over a billion pieces of literature that ChatGPT was trained off of. I mean, that just, it's able to draw on so many aspects of humanity so like the written words can hold a lot and i think the training set that they use for chat comes from different countries i'm not sure if it uses different languages but just over different time periods from different people with different perspectives i think it (coughs) just is extremely well-rounded in that yeah um see it's 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 funny because it actually I actually did take certain languages. I have a friend who uses who <laughs> so so messed up. He uh, he used it to write lo- to write love letters in Portuguese to girls he was talking to. Uh, <laughs> not okay. Not too is, far off. I will admit I used ChatGPT oh, no. to come up with answers to prompts on Hinge, and I took <laughs> the best ones. I also oh, that's um, fair. to be fair, I also have on my Hinge account a. <laughs> A AI generated image from Dolly two on what it thinks love looks like um, through online dating. Uh, that is so you. That is so you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, I mean, look like I mean, look like game. I mean, game respects game. That's how it's going to be. Um, I think that AI is going to become a huge part of our lives, all parts of our lives. Right? There's yeah. career, and then there's you know, uh, I guess like within the science sense, but then there's love, socialization. Um, what are your thoughts I, on that? I think the biggest difference between like the AI that I do and the AI that we want to talk about is this idea of general intelligence versus like specialized intelligence. So when I'm training the model, I'm training it to do one or two tasks really well. And when you talk about like memory or something like like it's done fairly simply. Um, And then just on the other end of that, we have like a human who we're able to maintain all of these behaviors and these complex thoughts in these, in our brain. But like, there's so much overlap in how information is stored. And when you talk about like memory and stuff, like how our memories store in these really complex ways, so you're able to fit all this information. I think that just over time, chat, GBT, and these other levels of AI are going to become just more similar to us than the AI that like I work with these like more research focused models, not to say open AI is doing research. I mean, they absolutely are to be able to develop these tools. Um, But I think they're going to become just a little bit more generalized and able to do more tasks. So I think what they're doing right now is kind of building like how I see it as like modules of an overarching open AI tool. 
So ChatGPT and Dale are just these like pieces of the puzzle. And they're going to keep, they're not going to stop. They're going to build tools that can do music. I mean, I think that's already a case. There are some tools that, there are some AIs that do that. There are, Actually, there's AIs yeah, that can, like I, produce multiple like frames and produce like an episode, stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been playing around. I, uh, there's, there's actually this, this uh, AI program, and I'll have it down in the description down below for anyone who's interested. But it can, yeah, it, uh, I've been using it to, to play around with producing songs, um, like in literally any genre. And then, you, then the, the ability to combine genres, like mm-hmm. if you want like a sort of uh, a cinematic orchestral techno beat from like the 90s, right? It instantly came up with it and then also there's there's uh levels where you can actually shift the like the pitch the intensity at what point in the song dude i don't know it's just, it's it's incredible and what you say about music and episodes like i think in the future everyone will have their own sitcom like <laughs> like yeah. like there's just gonna be like okay so for example like i think it is in a sense of world building you take a look at star wars you take a look at avatar there's an entire, like, you can go online and look at the wiki. Every single character has a backstory. Every animal has, like, its own origin and it's, like, its yeah. genome. And every, like, planet and vehicle is, like, scientifically somewhat accurate. Maybe not Star Wars, but yeah. Um, and so it's what we do when we dream. We're building these worlds. Yeah. We know that yeah. when it comes down to, like, a brain, it's possible to do this. Yeah. How I, is it so possible? I just. We say, how is it possible? Well, I mean, like you said, oh, like we we find it that's possible. Can you explain to someone in lay terms, aka me, like how we know that's possible, besides just dreaming ourselves? I would well, say that that would be my evidence. I mean, we exist. We can dream. We've all had dreams of our own worlds of our own creation. You know, yeah. things that you might not, you've never actually seen in real life, but can still exist in your mind. That level of creativity. Yeah. I think the fact that we can do it means that other level, other kinds of intelligence can do it too. So when I, I talk about how these levels, these kinds of AI are mimicry, I will, yeah. I don't exactly, there, there's some caveats to that. I think that these kinds of intelligence are human-like, but not human, and they will never imitate the reality of a human. Yeah. But that means that they're their own thing. That means there's something else that we don't comprehend, that these AIs are a different kind of intelligence, but still intelligence nonetheless. Um, they can just, they're going to be able to do things that we can't do, and there are going to be things that we can do that they can't do. So let me ask you this then. Uh, so we talked about before how we're a lot more we're a lot more determinative in terms of our behaviors than we think we are. Mm-hmm. Like you and I both agree with that. And you take a look at something like AI, and you and you say that it's mimicry. Uh, but then right now you also say that it's something kind of different from us. At what point will you sort of say, okay, this AI is considered life, or it's considered its own entity? Because, I mean, is it because like, you know, mimicry, yes, but I mean, I kind of think looks like a duck, talks like a duck, quacks like a duck. I mean, all intensive purposes is a duck. Well, so life 
there, if you want to talk about the definition of life and get a little complicated, I mean, my first, like, ninth grade biology class, we were taught that there are these seven hallmarks that make up life. I don't remember all of them, but you need some level of, like, homeostasis. You need some signals of life. And a computer, I don't think, fully meets that criteria of what a biologist would say life is. Um, I think the fact that we can copy an AI and move it to another computer and we can exist the exact same as it did on the first computer makes it a different kind of life that we're like familiar with and the concept we're talking about. Um, I don't know if I would ever really say that like an AI like ChatGPT is going to achieve the mark that I would consider to be alive. I see. Um, now, but I don't know. I mean, now, the future what... is changing every day. Like I wouldn't have guessed that yeah. AI would be at the level of is now and what its capabilities are. Especially this fast. Like, I mean, my, like my entrepreneurial like professor, uh, he, I remember he spent in, like an entire class talking to us about how AI is going to be the greatest like thing in our generation, it's going to take over. It's like, and he just kept saying these things. And I just was just thinking to myself like, yeah, okay, bro. Yeah. Like not for like another 20 years, whatever. And then this comes out like not even six months later. And it's all of a sudden I, uh, now, I mean, I like have since reached out to him, but I, I, I just said, like, professor, you're right. I didn't think that this would be true. I like took the AI course, like you said, but I, I never thought it would be this close. I never thought it'd be this good, you know, like, and but now like, like my perception. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, uh, well, I was, I was, I was just going to say that now my perception is completely shifted in that. I don't really know what, how fast things are going to start arriving now. Um, yeah. I don't, well, know. I, the thing is, I don't think any of us can really know, but like, how would you say, how yeah. do you think your college professor made that prediction? Is this guy just, or is this person just someone who's optimistic in the field of technology and can just believe that technology will advance fastness? Or is this someone who knew something deeper? So, so he's been, so <clears throat> I can't know for sure, but uh, he's like within Silicon Valley. He's like a, I mean, he's a serial entrepreneur. Um, mm-hmm. He got famous by, I forget, I forget, I forget what he was like exactly how, but like in the days of like when the internet infrastructure was being built, like he played a really key role in making that by making mm-hmm. a business. He, he, he created an early version of Instagram, but it was just a few years shy of when the technology was actually there to make it happen. So he wasn't able to like succeed in that. But this yeah. is a guy who's like spent his entire life around like around tech, around these types of people mm-hmm. who sort of, you know, uh, are on the cutting edge of what technology is. And I mean, mm-hmm. to be honest with you, I don't know if he, if he I, I don't know if he was aware of what OpenAI was, but um, yeah, that's just kind of his context. And yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I want to hear your thoughts though, because, um, you like, yes, you have experience within like more machine learning uh, and sp- and specific intelligence versus general artificial intelligence, but um, 
What's the difference between taking something like like OpenAI, which you could, which you which you would say is more considered general intelligence, and kind of specifying it in the equivalent of like an, of like an accountant or a like consultant or a you know fourth mm-hmm. grade school teacher? Would that be considered machine learning, or is that still too broad? So I'm I'm a little not sure what you're asking. So are you like? Yeah, so I, I, I guess what I'm asking is like, what is the bounds of like machine learning versus mm-hmm. like uh, general artificial intelligence? Or and can you start actually with explaining the difference between the two? So machine learning is kind of just it's this big overarching term now, and it's hard to really put a pin in it. I think machine learning just talks about these learning algorithms used behind the models and how complicated those can be. So we're talking about generalized intelligence or really specified specific intelligence models. They're both machine learning. I think, I think machine learning kind of includes all of that. Um, But like, say you wanted an AI that could look at your business is your business's sales and then predict how you should market for the next quarter and where you should yeah. be putting products for the next, like how you should be allocating your resources, that kind of AI is what I would say specialized intelligence. It's only trained on the limited information you give it that is specific to your your business, all right? Um, general intelligence is the kind of AI that you can ask it to do anything whatever you can think of and it can do it now yeah. chat GBT isn't really at that point where it's like yeah. all encompassing, but it's in, it's going in that direction, which is why I call it general yeah. intelligence. It's, it's on its way to become that. And like I said, how these things are still like kind of modular. So I yeah. think in, a, in not even a few years, maybe even just like a few months when like chat GBT includes images when they can kind of pair chat GPT to like Dolly too. I think that the more you add to an AI model like that, the more it can do, the more it becomes a generalized intelligence. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Because right now chat GPT can only make text that is still, if you frame it in that way, it's still just a specific task. It can't do yeah. everything. It can't sort my, it can't fold my clothes and put it away in my closet, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. Not yet. Not yet. Not uh, yet. Actually, not yet. I, I mean, it's, 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 it's funny because, uh, like I look on the wall here of just kind of all the different beliefs that I have. And that actually, that's actually the, like one of my beliefs until the AI has the ability to like manipulate the physical world. Right. It's just going to be intelligence. It's just, it's just going to be the equivalent of a consultant. Now, the day yeah. that they stick, you know, uh, the day that, that, that they stick chat GPT or, or really the, the model for it in a Boston Dynamics robot, that's when we get scared. But, uh, you know, <laughs> um, I mean, but chat let, GPT is never going, it does, it's not trained on motor control too. I think so. One of the things I did in college actually was putting the, neural networks I talked about into a robot. Um, This was one of my robotics courses that focused on how biology can 
educate robotics. So I was focused on a something called a, we focused on a neural network that was based off of the common toad. And I tried to do something that was predator prey detection in a very simple yeah. manner, but using a robot yeah. in a robotic camera. Um, yeah. And so like you can put, you can put any kind of machine learning model into a robot because all that, inc- what that means is just changing how the machine learning model interfaces with its environment. So in one respect, the environment is still on a computer and it's this like game, like the Atari game Pong or in another respect, it's the environment is the camera and the other sensors on the robot. It's still coming out as ones and zero. Like it's this, the machine learning models still are receiving information and kind of information hasn't really changed. It's just become more complicated. So the model has to be better to deal with that. Mm-hmm. You know, if ChatGBT was receiving its information through a mic, if we were speaking and then it was giving text, that would be a very different thing than what it is now where we type out text and then it responds with text. Now, now with that, I would ask, what's what's the difference between, for example, taking like, taking like Apple, like, let's say we were to overimpose over ChatGPT, like, Okay, I make a website and <clears throat> I plug in a like literal like uh, voice language processor, have that processed into text, and then put that text into ChatGPT. At that point, isn't there no difference? Exactly, I, you're giving the you're giving ChatGPT the you're interfacing it with reality with our yeah. voices. By converting the information into text, into what it needs. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay, I want to shift our conversation to what you think the world is going to look like within the next year, next Mm -hmm. five years. I mean, beyond that, I don't really know, but yeah. yeah. I think that these tools are going to exist more on our – they're going to become very prominent on our computers on how we manage our everyday life. I think there's going to be more more applications like that where these AIs are going to manage our calendars or influence how we use like a Google search so we can find the information we're looking for a little bit better. Uh, I think that it's going to be more widespread across the internet, but a little more like into the future, I think that what we're talking about how putting AI in robots, I think like a very simple version is like the Roomba, those little robots that like will sweep your floor. I think that's what people want. And that's the direction that like robotics yeah. goes in where you want to create a product that is useful for the everyday person. Now, obviously these yeah. are going to be like first given to like the upper echelon of society, the people who can afford these robots that can yeah, wash your dishes and put away your, yeah. do those tasks that we don't want to do. I mean, that's, that's the point yeah. of technologies to do what we don't want to do and do it easier. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I overall agree. Uh, wait, uh, is, is there more you have to say? So I was going to say that there already exists these like very big robots that can like for people with disabilities that can like 
literally take out dishes, operate your kitchen for you. These are these things already exist. They're just yeah. they're big robots. They're clunky, and there's kind of a hardware problem there that we need to like make the yeah. tools smaller. I mean, the same thing could have yeah. been said about computers in the '90s. I mean, they used to take yeah. up the size of your living room, and now we're talking on things that are bigger than a couple stacks of paper. Yeah. I mean, there's photos you can look up online of like a one megabyte SD card that literally would have to be forklifted yeah. into a plane, right? Yeah. And now, like, I mean, you can get a you, you can get a, like a mini SD card with like terabytes on it now, which is yeah. like like, so, like thousands and thousands of times larger. The fact that this technology exists today in the in that fat, it's just new means that it's not going away and that in yeah. I don't want to say a time frame because I'll probably be wrong but within <laughs> the near future these things are going to get smaller they're going to get easier to be manufactured and they'll become more widespread now we've yeah. also yeah. talked about the problem of like resources and yeah yeah oh, I was going to say that exactly yeah uh, so I mean I think that, like, I mean, limitless growth, un, like, unchallenged, unbounded, will grow yeah. unlimited, right? But we don't live in an unlimited world. Like, there's a reason why, you know, Canada only has, like, a, like what, a few million people versus the U.S. who has 300 and something million. There's mm -hmm. literally just more resources, more ability to grow food, more ability mm -hmm. to, to move, like, resources around. Like, for example, the U.S. has, like, the largest network of rivers in the world of any country. We have the we have one of the largest shorelines by like length of almost any country on earth. We have the largest uh, area to grow food, which is like the Great Plains, right? Yeah. And the like our diversity makes it so that there's lots of energy which is able to be made, which is able to be translated into food, which means more babies and more people. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, I mean, I I've already read in terms of the rare earth metals, there's just not enough, like, for yeah. example, like there's barely going to be enough rare earth metals to make enough electric cars by the standards we've set by like 2030 something. Um, now you add in AI, you add in semiconductors. I mean, we're going to have to start mining asteroids if we really want this world that we envision. Um, yeah. That's why I yeah, think but, uh, that robots that exist in the household <laughs> are going to are they're going to face more problems than AI that exists solely on your computer because the resources, yeah. the like when we're talking about processing power, you know, CPUs, memory, yeah. we already have enough on a personal laptop to run a pretty sophisticated AI. Really? Um, wow. Wow. Now, um, wow. So now, could you say that, because like this is one of my predictions, um, even though there are there is a limitation towards resources, I think that, I mean, I think AI is going to start to bleed itself into all industries, and that includes scientific research, engineering, yeah. and I think oh. at some point, I mean, it's already being done, AI is going to have the ability to sort of refine itself and become more efficient. Now yeah. that starts to bring up, uh, oh, how much freedom do we give it? But I think that um, that's probably going to, in the short term, fix a lot of our resource limitations. Um, I think so. But, one thing I will yeah. say it's AI has just across the board this problem of what's called like the black box, 
And yeah. there's always going to be this behind the scenes that we as the programmers, developers of it just won't rec- won't understand, won't be able to see in its fullest. And so the idea that we can control a like machine learning models that we can limit it are we can only do it to an extent like there's always going to be things that we can't predict. And if you can't predict it, how are you supposed to control it? So we can't, we won't um, always be able to shape it in our image, but we can do our best to, as yeah. long as we cannot, we only have such an understanding. So we can only do it to that yeah. extent. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So here's some of the truths that I've come up with that I think are going to happen in the near future. And I kind of want to just kind of sort of rapid fire, run them down and then see what your reactions are. Okay. Okay. So I, f- I feel like eventually, eventually I can't say when, AI will take over most jobs eventually. Well, I'm sorry, most jobs, most jobs that exist. So that, that, some, I think a lot of jobs, but there's always going to be some need for a human interaction. But like, yes, I see that, but even like supermarket cash registers, cashiers, maybe was a job that I didn't think could go away, but now we have Amazon Fresh shops that, are entirely run by the customer. Yeah. I mean, uh, Amazon Go is quite a fucking experience. You walk up, you pick up a like candy bar, and then you walk right out. <laughs> That's uh, like, have you ever been to one of those? No. Okay. So uh, Amazon Go, uh, literally how it works. It's only available in certain areas. I think it's available in New York. When I was in San Francisco, I went, and now they're kind of putting in testing it in random areas. But there's literally mm-hmm. one person in the entire store, and it's a security guard. Right, you walk in. You have to tap your like your Amazon QR code on your Amazon app. You walk in. Literally, you pick something up on the shelf and you walk out. There's no paying, no scanning through the cameras and like weights and everything. It just knows what you've picked up, what you've picked up. And if you put it back, you can put it back, but then it'll charge you later. Mm -hmm. So, like that security Um, job position, that which we think might. Be so secure, we can't lose it. Even that could be lost eventually. Yeah. Once you yeah. have robots we'll see. in place, but that's- yeah, yeah. Well, well, well. Um, there are these certain jobs, right? And they're called heel jobs, called uh, health, education, admin, literacy. I think those jobs are going to become much more in demand, and we're going to have new jobs that have that we that we that we don't even know of or can't even fathom of existing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, like. There's so many like computerized jobs that in during the industrial revolution, no one can ever imagine. I think we're going to have that same thing with us, but it's going to be much yeah. more. In, I, I say this optimistically in sort of like a human, like humanistic way. Like yeah. I think that, you know, we're, we're, we're actually going to be able to go back towards, you know, being human, you know, like, oh, like yeah. I, I want this specific babysitter. I want this specific personal trainer. I want this person to listen to me or like in Japan, as sad as it gets, it's like, I want this girlfriend, you know, or I want someone who's like, you know, to be my family for the night, as <laughs> sad as it gets. Yeah. But I think it's when you say health, I actually think that there's a lot of focus in the field of AI for health. And yeah, those jobs are might be some of the first to change for sure. I think there's a lot of tools right now that where you won't need a doctor to diagnose you. 
I think there are tool there are AIs that are better than a doctor. Not every doc, but there are AI tools that are very good at looking at the information it's given and being able to see something that a doctor might not see. Um, I just yeah. think that the field of health is somewhere where cutting edge technology is always going to be put towards. So those jobs are yeah. going to change a lot. Um, it's like when we talk so, about pharmaceuticals, which is a yeah. huge, huge thing in this country, um, like yeah. drug discovery, how that's done is something that's already being targeted by AI. There's already people who focus yeah. on building these models that look at how two proteins will interact. And if you can build a model that yeah. does that, you can run thousands and thousands of experiments in like a day, in a week, yeah. and find drugs that are we haven't even yeah. thought of yet. So I, I actually agree with you. I think, uh, well, I like after listening to a talk from the OpenAI CEO, his prediction is that, especially with nuclear uh vision and that discovery within within the next few years, um, yeah, the cost of energy and intelligence are going to trend towards zero, but not necessarily reach zero. And I think you're right for a job like diagnosing uh, for, you know, analytics, those jobs are probably going to go away. But I mean, like, for example, like a nurse or a caretaker, I feel like that those jobs are probably gonna be the last, if any, to be like thrown out. Cause I think a mother is always going to want as long as she can afford it, always want a sort of nurse to like be there as she's going to labor. Um, I, oh, I mean, so I think there's just some examples of that. Take a quick pause. My roommate just came. I have to yep. close my door. Well, okay. One thing I would say to like nursing, a lot of what nurses do can be very repetitive for sure, which is yeah. kind of why like their schooling programs are, it takes less years to become a nurse than a doctor. I mean, there are a lot of reasons for that. But like when we talk about a nurse giving you like an IV and then administering some drugs, I think stuff like that can be taken over by technology relatively quickly. I mean, think of like a soda stream and how you have this piece of technology that can give you any kind of soda you'd like by combining some fluids in the back. I think that that kind of yeah. technology can be get put into medicine where your doctor yeah. wants to yeah. give you this medication and it could just be done by technology instead of by a nurse. Yeah, I think you're right. But I think there's one thing that AI and robots will have the hardest time overcoming. And that's just the humanistic element. Like the idea of like the someone being in the room with you. And like, yeah, yeah exactly. The person being in the room with you, holding your hand, right? Being like, you know, just, just presence-wise, just being there for you. I think that that's going to be really hard to take away that part. Yeah. Even when you're like, when you first meet a patient and you're trying to figure getting information out of them is is such a person to person connection that that all like that, I don't think could be taken over by technology because I mean, like the technology might know the right questions to ask, but getting someone to open up and like provoke them, I think is something that, we yeah. will always do better between ourselves than between a computer and us. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Next thing. Uh, I think that the nature of work is going to shift. It's going to change from creation to curation. Uh, at some point, we're never really going to start from scratch. Mm-hmm. Not that really many of us do anymore, but we're going to have to learn 
to basically have AI make something. And then you yourself as a person, you're just going to kind of shape and refine, kind yeah, of, absolutely. you know, round off and, and get that product out. I agree with you on that. Okay. I think even jobs like mine where I'm building machine learning and I'm programming that, yeah. AI can now program. Like it can write Python code and that's just going to get better and better. So pretty soon you can have ChatGPT write you a model, write you a Python script that can train another kind of AI. See, instead of just a method, now it's like literally the entire thing itself. Wow. But yeah, I think uh, that it's definitely going to be more of a curation thing. Understanding what we need is going to be more important. Yeah. Yeah. And then figuring out how to get AI to work for us yeah. to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what else? Um, oh, okay. I think within the field of romance. Okay. I, okay. So I wrote a <clears throat> psych paper. Uh, well, I wrote a paper for my ethics class. Our, our final was basically to create an argument and then defend it. And I won with this argument, but I never thought I'd ever really have to deal with this until much later on. But mm -hmm. I, okay. But essentially I made the argument that any, that, uh, given a, augmented intelligence and, and artificial intelligence that is sufficiently advanced, right? It only makes sense to uh, have people be, be match made through AI. It will, it, it, it will be, it will become at some point infeasible to uh, meet someone in the real world and okay. uh, try and meet someone through there. I disagree with that one. Okay. I so there's actually yeah, yeah, yeah. a Black Mirror episode that kind of plays on that exact idea of these people. So the Black the way the Black Mirror episode works is that there's this AI that will run simulations hundreds and hundreds of times based on your dating profile episode, yeah. to see how yeah. well you interact with another individual. And yeah. I think that I'm just using that anecdotally, but like I've said before these models are not ever going to be perfect and never are never going to be perfect at representing human interaction. I mean, they might be better than any algorithm we currently use in dating apps. So for sure they will get implemented eventually, but they, I just don't want anyone to think they're perfect because I, they're going to have some flaws and. Yeah. At some point. Yeah, I just, I, I, think I, the problem with relying on it too heavily, especially with like, how, how should I make friends? How, who should I try and become friends yeah. with? If I relied on AI for that, I think my life yeah. becomes very linear. Um, I think that you are right. I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, like at the end of the day, like people don't want predictability. They want spontaneity. They want chaos. They want adventure. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and uh, my argument for the, for the whole uh, AI is, okay, we'll program that in. Program it so that, okay, uh, eventually you'll find the person you want, but it'll let you sort of play around a little bit with the people that it sets you up with. Give you a little, you know, give you like an, uh, an unknown like chance of compatibility, right? And you can sort of play the, the adventurous route. Um, but no, um, I, like, I, I'm not going to lie to you. Like I made the argument for the sake of it and I won, but... I still think it's dystopian also. Like, I don't want to meet my girl on Hinge, right? I, I would prefer to go out in the real world. But, I mean, but at the same time with what you're saying about how they're never going to be perfect, I would actually disagree. At one point, it was thought that a computer could never beat another human in chess and go. And now, like, 
there, like there is no computer. Well, there is no person that can beat a computer in chess anymore. It it figured yeah. out that game. I think so, given enough time, it's going to figure out the game of us. I think chess is a lot more discreet. There's you can only take round of actions. I think so. There's a quote I told yeah. you before, and I just want to reiterate it that all models, and this is talking about statistical models, and AI definitely falls into that category. Yeah. All models are wrong, but some yeah. models are useful, said by George Box. And so yeah. these yeah. models that match us, like current algorithms that are used on Bumble, Tinder, Hinge, they're all going to be flawed in some way. They're not going to, they, they will oh, never yeah. be perfect, way but to, they are. information. Yes, they're always they are significantly useful because it narrow it helps you narrow down this dating pool you're looking at from total strangers to maybe like a hundred girls. Um, I think that AI, if it gets implemented into dating apps, is going to be very useful. It's going to probably outperform all of the current apps. I mean, I I would definitely agree yeah. with that. I just don't think it's yeah. ever going to be perfect. I don't think so, that AI um, is going to look at, say it was the database was every person in the world. I don't think an AI yeah. could pick out your wife for you. I don't think I, it could do that, but I do think it can tell you these are the 10 best women. Now you go find your wife. Yeah. So, um, I'll, uh, uh, I, I, I'm not saying this. Okay. Um, so one of my, like one of the most enlightening things, one of my history teachers, did you, uh, do you remember Sergey Alshin from high school? I don't think I ever had him for history. Oh, you never had him. Okay. Like, like super bald Russian guy. Okay. But like, I loved him cause he was like super tough on grades and whatever. Yeah. No, I said but Mr. Madden. I rem- yeah. Um, but, uh, he, I remember him just saying one point, he's like, you know, there's probably a girl in Uganda who I can get along with, right? Girl who I'd probably fall in love with, have a whole family with. But you know what? I'm never going to meet her because I'm not in Uganda and I'll never see her. Mm. And from that, I got, well, yeah, like there's 8 billion people. If you're straight for, if you're not, well, it's a lot of, a lot more fun people, right? Uh, that, you know, you could potentially spend the rest of your life with. And uh-huh. at that point, there's a lot more than just one person or 10 people. There's probably like, be quite honest with you, like thousands of people, probably even like a million people who mm-hmm. you actually could probably have a really good chance of settling down with. Yeah. Um, and so I think at that point, it's not going to be so hard uh, to, uh, to find someone. And I think going even further than that, I think that you take, like, I, I think the reason why, why Bumble and Tinder, why they're really hard right? Uh, is because they don't have a lot of data points, right? Mm-hmm. At the, I mean, really, it's just, are you hot? And then are you funny in your caption, right? You take someone like Match, where there's a lot more questions you have to ask. But with AI, well, I think at some point, you'll be able to sort of maybe connect your Instagram or your Facebook or your fucking co-pilot AI, whatever. And all of a sudden, they'll feed other information like, what books do you read? What YouTube do you watch? Uh, you know, what are your quirks? And it'll be able to, to detect this based on modeling all of you. And at some point, it'll find, okay, well, how much adventure do you like? How much variation do you like? Yeah. And the more data points it finds, the more of a complete model it can find of you. And the more complete models then it can generate of people who would be compatible for you. 
And I think at that point, that's when it's going to become a lot easier to just say, you know what? I'll meet this person who is 90, 98% like me. So let me ask you a question. I, when I was in college, yeah. I took a course on cyber ethics and I focused yeah. my final paper on targeted advertisement. It's where okay. companies like Google will sell your information, <laughs> your search history, stuff like yeah. that. Things you're interested in to other companies so they can yeah. tell you which products you like better. I think that yeah. that is there's a lot of parallels between that and dating, telling you yeah. which coffee maker you're going to want versus which girl you're going to want. It, there, I mean, yeah. there's differences, but there's a lot of yeah. similarities in just the more information they have, the better. But the yeah. kind of economy we create if we promote that, I think it could be dangerous. I just think that when we're, when we talk about selling our information and people not having control over how their own information is sold scares me a little bit because that means a company out there somewhere might know you more than you know about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, actually there's, um, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up. There was actually a case uh, like decades ago. There was a father who walked into Target and mm-hmm. because Target started recommending this girl, like sort of baby ads, like formula, baby diapers, whatever. And this guy walked in to this Target and said, how dare, how dare you send ads to my child about babies when she's a teenager? Only for him to find out later before even she knew, Target knew that she was pregnant. Because based on tracking her history, yeah. her yeah. purchase history, they, they statistically, they found that her purchase history was in line with someone who was ex- expecting. That's a great story. I love that so and, much. And that, <laughs> and that was done all like, that was like over a decade ago, right? Yeah. Um, the technology be- today, yeah. the information they have is more yeah. abundant today. Yeah. 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 My, my, my belief and uh, like my belief is that anything, even as bad as it is, people will still do if the benefit is greater than the loss. So Snapchat, mm-hmm. Instagram, Google, take a fuck ton of your data, but you know what you get in return? The internet's basically free. Instagram's free. Facebook's free. Snapchat's free. Twitter's free. Um, like, I mean, yes, you know, I talk about, for, I talk about vans and how I want to live in a van. Then I get, you know, van life fucking ads on Instagram. Right. But I have decided, you know what? That's worth it. You know, TikTok. Yeah. We fucking know that people like it's come out that TikTok can track your typing keystrokes when you leave the app and it's yeah. probably being sent to China. But you know how many people are still on it? Right. Um, I think that you take something that is potentially the the greatest decision you will ever make in your life, which is love and who you'll settle down with. I think people would be a lot more willing to sort of throw their information away if they could live a life that, you know, was great for them. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't particularly like it, (laughs) you know, either. I I think that it's going to become very 1984, but I I tend to be very stoic about some things. And I feel like that's something that is going to happen, whether we like it or not. There is a lot of use. I mean, the internet being free is a great example, but I think my point is that this is all happening so fast that it's hard for laws, for regulations to catch up with it. Yeah, and we need yeah, a lot of yeah. that to the companies 
I just think there needs to be a little bit more control over your own personal data. Knowing just knowing where that information is getting sent is good. But like the fact that a lot of tech companies are self-regulating is a little scary. I think ChatGBT I love as a company because they do some really incredible regulations on themselves that they impose that they don't necessarily need to. And that's great, but we can't expect the next company to do the same. You just can't. I, it's- I, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Governments and politics. I, I mean, I would argue that like shit's already so behind. I would say that with TikTok, right, we're going to look back on it as the equivalent of giving our kids cigarettes in about, yeah. I don't know, eventually. I think yeah. it's awful. I mean, and I say this hypocritically while being on social media, but it's, 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 it's but the idea I, that like commercializing our intention, like trying getting more money yeah. by capturing our attention is just very dangerous. YouTube does it, TikTok does dangerous. it. Yeah, and you know what? Like the incentives of these companies at the end of the day is to please shareholder value. Mm-hmm. I like. I mean, look, like I am. I don't think that. Most people at YouTube or Twitter or Facebook or TikTok are, you know, like they want people to suffer, right? But I think that their incentives are aligned where people's suffering is kind of indifferent towards them. Um, yeah. I agree. I I, uh, I think that like the age of politicians needs, needs to decrease by 30, um, <laughs> 40. <laughs> no, because like, no, because uh, like, I mean, I... Yeah, look, like I'm like, like I'm not for Uber regulation. But when it comes to some things like this, like this is so awful. I I agree with you. I don't think companies should have the ability to just kind of police themselves. Um, I mean, look, what I will say though is what I love about OpenAI, the people who make ChatGPT, is that by by giving it out to the masses, they kind of made everybody super. You know, like. Yeah. Think of like if they were to sell this like behind closed doors to corporate companies. I I love that they gave it to everyone so everyone could be on the same page. Yeah, I will. I want to correct. I don't think that it's wrong that they can self-police themselves. I think that it's good that they are doing that. They just we shouldn't expect that to be the only regulations on them. I think all companies regulate themselves, but there needs to be some agreed upon like by the government, by someone. Some overarching power that there's agreed upon terms yeah. on how we will behave yeah. you with AI. Yeah, I mean, actually, um, do you uh, do you know about? So there's a story. It's called Glaucon's Ring of Gyges. It's <laughs> this book that uh, one of Plato's students in Greek philosophy wrote as a thought experiment. Have you ever heard of it? No. Essentially, the story goes: uh, there's this pious, good-natured shepherd, a little poor. And he finds a ring in this cave. Turns out this ring makes him invisible. And the story goes, okay, well, he's poor and he's hungry. How long is it before he goes to the market and takes another apple? He finds that he can get away with it. Takes a little bit more of an apple next time than the bread, than the cart. Then, you know, it's Greece. So, you know, he, you know, uh, you know, gets with his neighbor's wives. Um, but it's, but it, it, essentially, what? I said, or his neighbor's <laughs> sons. It's Greece. Come on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or his neighbors, like little little boy sons. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the the point of the story is, people maybe. I mean, you can make the argument about whether people are naturally good or naturally bad. That's besides the point. We're opportunistic based on our values, and uh, you know, chasing opportunity unchecked leads to people getting hurt. 
So in my opinion, you need to create a system where everyone's incentives, whether they're good or bad, align towards being a good person. I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't like cancel culture. I don't like social media. But what I do like is that it's, it's, it's sort of forced people to be accountable for their evils. I love yeah. that part. I think it goes a little far, but yeah. And I think that when it comes to like, uh, like, you know, companies and like self-governance, I think that's great, but we need to like somehow create a system, even if it's not just government where they are seriously incentivized to be a good person. And it's hard to incentivize them without money. Yeah. yeah. I think the incentive of money is already shown that it's not going to money incentivizing based on money is not going to lead to people being better. It's just going to lead to how can I capture your attention more? That's not going to, yeah. Yeah. It's going to change now. Yeah. Now what I do think fingers crossed is that AI is going to be able to allow us to play politics and understand what the optimal way is. Runs, run some, some simulations uh, and, or uh, maybe someday be able to govern us. Right. You think AI is going to say that democracy is the best way of government of everyone having a voice? Or is it going to say that maybe everyone shouldn't have a voice? Oh God. You know, it's, 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 it's funny because I guess you have to ask yourself, what is the goal, right? What's, I mean, uh, what's the goal? You know, are we just supposed to be happy? I do want to say, if if you ask chat GBT today, how should we govern ourselves? Remember that when you're asking that question, what you're doing is searching through the millions and millions of data sources of literature it uses, and it's just going to accumulate all of that into an answer for you. So if Mm -hmm. if we lived in a if we lived in a world where democracy was the only form of government, this AI isn't going to come up with that it can only draw on what we've given it. And I, I just want to reiterate that there's going to be bias there. I don't think yeah. that it can come up with new Amazing. ways of governing that we have not kind of already alluded to ourselves. I think you're right. I, I think bias is something that we haven't touched on, but I completely agree with. I mean, just as an example, right. I was asking it to explain to me uh, why wearing a crop top is uh, okay within America and explain mm-hmm. to an immigrant parent, like, and, and, like an, and, and a conservative immigrant religious parent, why it's okay or why it's, you know, or give the argument for why uh, someone who's like incredibly religious and conservative, why, the, why someone should not wear a crop top. And and ChatGPT told me, well, obviously there should there's no reason why, and da 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 da, like whatever. I don't really care about the argument, but the bias I learned really quickly exists, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that, okay, that, that that example is like okay, uh, an example that many people can agree on. But then there's lots of other things, a lot of biases that we don't even know about that it just has. And I think. Yeah. An interesting thing about the advancement in AI is forcing us to recognize our own bias that we kind of might have been denying for hundreds of years. So, for example, there was a 
there was a machine learning model that was implored by cops to kind of more effectively put the patrol cars kind of saying, okay, well, we should focus most of our resources towards maybe this neighborhood and this neighborhood based off of criminal record history and where arrests have been in the past 100 years. And you start to realize when that was implemented that it was telling the cops to put more cars in black and Hispanic neighborhoods. And it forces you to realize that this is what's the, this is what bias has existed in the years that that, that police, um, the police have been in that neighborhood and whatnot. And it's kind of impossible to disagree that that bias exists now. I mean, some people would defend that. No cops aren't biased towards black people, but obviously they are in, I, I think that's a very polarized example, a very political example, but it, it's uh, just that AI is yeah. forcing us to realize bias that not everyone might be open to accepting. Yeah, I think you're completely right with that. Um, I don't know. Like, what are, your, what are your thoughts on this? I think that when we talk about building data sets and how we train AI, that is going to become literally a major in college. I think it's going to become that important and that nuanced that there's going to be so much to learn about and how we curate data sets and how we look, how we can remove bias or change how learning algorithms exist to take out bias that is going to just become so, so much more important in the next 10 to 15 years. I think in the way that CompSci is now being taught to elementary school students and how become how widespread computer science as a field has grown, that specifically working and working with AI is going to become a major of its own. Yeah, cannot deny that. I I I cannot deny that. Um, quite a brave new world that we're about to embark on. Uh, I don't know, bro. I, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's insane. Just the last, I mean, I guess ever since the, like 2020 started, it's like simulation. It just feels like, I mean, like I like, I mean, between the pandemic, right. And then, you know, now we're starting to see, well, I mean, like, like the first war in like 70 years and then this with AI and now these thought-provoking questions and like my personal idea, which we, we didn't touch on too much, but the idea that it could, it's, it's going to reshape capitalism potentially as we, as we, as we see it. I mean, what are you going to do with a bunch of unemployed people, unemployable people? I don't know. I don't know. Um, remains to be seen, but do you have any uh, closing thoughts before we uh, head out? I think that, you, you're, you're right that it's going to change capitalism. I think that the world as it exists is already a little unsteady. I think that we, yeah. there are always like phases in humanity of peace and balance and then total chaos. I feel like we're kind of AI as it exists and as it will continue to grow is just going to, it's going to make the world more unsteady in the near future, but hopefully in a more long-term goal, it will help us grow in society and with each other more harmoniously. Yeah. I mean, 
Yeah, optimistically, I'm looking towards potentially humanity being brought back because when we're unemployed, we're going to have UBI, we're going to have a lot of free time, right? And what does that mean? We can go back to our hunter-gatherer days of just, you know, after it's food, it's just, just fucking around, hanging out, you know, just like socializing. I think that in a really fun way, people are going are, are gonna to be able to go back to their arts and their pursuits, at least in the short term yeah. before Skynet kills us. But, you know, uh, like maybe we'll be able to play guitar, sing, do whatever it is we want, right? That, that originally we wouldn't have had the time to do because we were too busy making money through this capitalist system. Now we just, I can just talk to people the whole my, my whole life, just go in a van, just travel, you know? <laughs> I think we talked about set marks in our lifetime. I'm hoping that something like a three-day work week becomes reality for us because we don't need to be in the office five days a week. How about a no day work week? We just like <laughs> fuck around and hang out. And it's like, oh, may, maybe for an hour a day, right? Yeah. No, just make sure that your virtual assistants, you know, are just, you know, okay, not trying to kill you. Um, yeah. Just like that. Yeah. You bring up a good point. Work, I think the work life is not going to be measured by days anymore. It's going to be measured by hours. I think less of our work is going to be sitting down at a desk and doing things for a long period of time, but letting an AI do its task and then coming back a few hours later and looking at it. Yeah. That kind of curation. Yeah. yeah. Well, David, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciated your insight. This was a really fun conversation and I uh, really hope that, uh, you know, um, potentially we'll have you back on and we can see what, what else has happened in the next. Yeah. Thank know, you so much year. for having me, Jalen. Good to talk yeah. with you. And hopefully next time I can be in person in Boston. So you don't have to do, set up all this again. Yeah, of course. Of course. Well, um, yeah. Great having you. Thank you. And guys, we'll see you in the next episode of lives of the party. Take care. And